This is Caught in the Act with Tim Clark. And welcome back. This week, Brittany Higgins has not been in court. She actually celebrated her birthday back on the Gold Coast. But her actions, her words, her intentions, her meanings, her political leanings, and that interview where she alleged rape in Parliament House have again dominated the legal landscape. Bruce Lerman, the man said to have committed that rape, was in court to listen to all the ed- evidence in his ongoing defamation action against Network 10. And the most explosive of that evidence has come from the woman who conducted that interview with Brittany Higgins, journalist, editor, presenter and author Lisa Wilkinson. She is also being sued by Mr Learman, who alleges she, along with her employer, defamed him with that piece on the project in February 2021. She and they deny they did defame him on two grounds. Qualified privilege, that is, they did all they could to ensure what they aired was accurate, and truth, that Mr Lehrman did rape Miss Higgins in the office of Senator Linda Reynolds after a drunken night out in March 2019. Media intersecting with the law and politics colliding with a media superstar, with layers of Me Too on top. To help me pick through the week's revelations of Bruce Emery Lerman versus Network 10 Proprietary Limited and Lisa Wilkinson is Jenna Clark, Associate Editor with The Australian, who now writes about media daily, but has also spent many, many days in the Canberra bubble. Jenna, what an unqualified privilege it is to have you with us on Court in the Act this week. Tim, it's so nice to be with you at the bar, my learned friend. Standing in a spot that you stood in this very studio many, many mornings. So uh, I think we'll feel comfortable with each other. I hope so. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Now, before we drill into the details, I want to ask you, as a woman with huge experience working in the media and in Canberra in particular, give me a couple of your takes on the Brittany Higgins story. Yeah, well, Tim, it seems like this story has been going for years because it has. Obviously, the initial allegations happened in 2019 and then we had the the, the project airing as well as a news.com.au article featuring these allegations break mm-hmm. in 2021. And I guess we have sat through, um, also we've had reviews into uh, misconduct and how there is basically no HR department in Parliament House. The former sex discrimination uh, commissioner, Kate Jenkins, handed mm-hmm. that, down that report, which showed, you know, one in three staffers have experienced harassment at some level and then you know this has been going on and like you say the intersection between media media superstar and Lisa Wilkinson and uh, you know two rising stars within the Liberal Party being uh, Bruce Lerman and Brittany Higgins mm. and of course that really difficult time uh, in for, for both of the major parties during the 2019 uh, election campaign and then obviously the, you know the Scott Morrison Prime Ministership so it has been a maelstrom of uh, emotion which is not great when you're trying to focus on a court case, as you would understand, covering it for many, many years. So it feels like people are very invested in this story now. Yeah. And you would know people who worked in Canberra at that time. You you no doubt spent 
um, time around Canberra around that time yourself. You you yeah. talk to, you drink with, coffee and other liquids, I'm sure. So <laughs> what, what was it like when this story broke in, in 2021? Did it, did, I mean, it shocked Australia, yeah. but did it, I mean, did it shock you as a, as a person who's lived, worked and followed Canberra for, for many, many years? Uh, it didn't really. I first moved to Canberra in 2013, and then you kind of moved in, uh, moved into the Parliament House, and you moved into the press gallery bubble. And it was a very, very different time, even though it really wasn't that long ago. But then, I at that time, I sort of made a concerted effort to maybe not um, socialise with with alcohol involved because I just wanted to, you know, focus on work and things like that. But of course, at that stage, you know, that's how you that's how you made contacts, that's how you built networks, and that's mm. how you got, you know, uh, you build up story uh, ideas for stories and things like that. So that probably played against me me, me somewhat, but it has always been a very heady environment. You know, people are away from home in the middle of the bush for, you know, 20, 26 weeks of the year. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, power floating around. Um, and I think something that Ms. Wilkinson said in the stand just yesterday, you know, there's a lot of people around there just trying to hold on to power, which mm. makes people do some questionable things at some sometimes. So I think when this story landed in 2019, a cloud definitely descended over the, over the house because I think people probably knew that something like this was coming, almost like a reckoning was coming, and it just happened to coincide, coincide with what we saw internationally with the Me Too movement. And, of course, I think the growing discontent among female voters with Prime Minister Scott Morrison. That's interesting you say that because from the evidence that we've heard in court about the way that the Canberra bubble operated, um, mm. trying to operate with alco- without alcohol <laughs> sounded like almost <laughs> impossible in terms not not in terms of you know an addiction, but in terms of mm. um, that's how just how people met and where people yeah. met and how they yeah. operated and how they um, made contacts and maintained contacts. So that's interesting for you, for you to say you made a conscious decision and that you knew that would probably go against your career somewhat well yeah <laughs> you know and some would say it probably did I'm not there anymore so <laughs> I've kind of been in and out for the past couple of years but yeah I think that those those Canberra lifers are definitely um they're they're definitely people that you know they're, they're, I don't think it's a, a drink and an alcohol problem by you don't want to tie everyone with that brush but no. there's definitely a sense of letting off steam and conviviality and and I think even people I mean I know that the West Australian contingent even back in the, you know the early 2010s everyone would go to a specific bar from WA, whether that be staffers, pollies, backbenchers, journos, just to kind of catch up and I think form a bit of a community. Mm. And having no doubt followed the, the, the Brittany Higgins, Bruce Lerman saga since um, 2021 when the, when the story dropped, the court case, as you say, public inquiry mm. and now a defamation action. Where do you sit on it now in terms of th- those revelations leading to a change in the culture in Canberra? Mm. Uh, I think I've watched it mainly, probably not. For, I've, I've kind of tried to ignore what you hear in the social media peanut gallery. And yeah. I've just really focused this year on what we actually saw in Parliament. And I watched the Senate quite closely, which, um, uh, look, there, I don't think I've seen that many grown people brought to tears over <laughs> this specific case. Because, you know, I, I know back in um, June and July, there was a lot of uh, questions being asked uh, now uh, of Finance Minister Katie Gallagher who yep. David Shiraz, who is Brittany Higgins's partner, has said on, on record that they were friends. Um, and we've heard that on the, in the Spotlight program as well. What did she know and when and what did she do with that information? So it was, I would say, it was probably an entire sitting fortnight. It was dedicated to the opposition attacking 
uh, Minister Gallagher and Senator Gallagher, and it just you, it was just it, the, it was palpable. The, the sense it was palpable because I think uh, this issue, uh, whether and I think this kind of goes into the fact that. I think most women could probably associate themselves with every character in this story mm. because I think it, there's always the, the non-verbal cues, there's always the, the unconscious bias that you're sort of experiencing and it just became seriously messy. And I remember one of the final sitting days walking back to my office in the press gallery and I actually saw federal ministers and, and MPs actually ducking from question time into the bathrooms with tears in their eyes. It just became, it's become a lot. So I think that there is concerted effort now uh, to make sure that the culture is changed. And you even see it, even the vibe has definitely changed during sitting weeks, you know, before before all of this sort of happened. And, and maybe it just goes to show this is before the pandemic as well. The press gallery would be a hive of excitement during sitting weeks where, you know, people would be there till all hours. And now it's it's pretty much dead by 9pm after all those deadlines have, have <laughs> gone to, to bed. Um, you're pretty much in there on your own unless the Senate is sitting late. Um, so it, it's a very, yeah, I think they're, and I think they are, they're definitely making concerted efforts. Someone like the Speaker of the House, Milton Dick, and the Senate President, Sue Lyons, are definitely very cognizant that there needs, that change needs to happen. Yeah. So we'll we'll start this week um, in detail at the end, specifically yesterday <laughs> and today, where the long-awaited appearance of Lisa Wilkinson in the witness box finally transpired. It has been a headline day at the Bruce Lerriman defamation hearing as former Channel 10 presenter Lisa Wilkinson finally entered the witness box. She was immediately accused of putting her ego ahead of Mr Lerriman's right to a fair trial. As most will know... Ms Wilkinson has been a maven of Australian media for decades. Editor of women's magazines when they still meant something. An author and one of the premium personalities on Australian television. Latterly, as the top shelf presenter of The Project on Network 10. That job came with high profile, high expectation and a big pay packet which inevitably riled up the, the writer-wing sections of politics and media in Australia, which she confronted head-on. After the project interview aired with Brittany Higgins and the political firestorm erupted, she penned an open letter to Prime Minister Scott Morrison after he had just won the 2019 election. We are sick and tired of the energy spent on infighting, political point scoring and the tribal factional warfare of recent years, she opined. In May 2022, when Mr Morrison lost the election, she opined again that if you look the other way when it comes to women, the planet, corruption, bad behaviour, change is always going to happen. And then, just a month after that, she won a Logie for her interview with Miss Higgins, which is where the tide turned. That speech caused the criminal trial of Mr Learman to be delayed three months. His own lawyers have since said that delay may have been the turning point in a conviction not being entered. And after the trial collapsed, Miss Wilkinson announced she was quitting the project, blaming targeted toxicity by some sections of the media. But I also have to be honest with you, the last six months have not been easy. And the relentless targeted toxicity by some sections of the media has taken a toll, not just on me, but on people I love. 
Don't get me wrong, I'm not above criticism, far from it. I'm human and I don't always get it right. None of us do. But by God, I've tried. And then Mr Lerman sued, specifically citing that Logie speech as a flagrant contempt, which brought us to the federal court in Sydney for the past month, when every day Ms Wilkinson has attended and listened to the defamation case of Mr Learman and the defence put forward by Network 10. Jenna, how did you consider Lisa Wilkinson before the Higgins interview on the project? Lisa Wilkinson is a giant of the Australian media landscape. And I think we've always, I think regardless if you're a man or woman, you'd have to admire the fact that, you know, this woman started in uh, being the receptionist at Dolly magazine when it existed and then went on to to carving out an incredible career. Uh, I think that she has had, she's she's left an indelible mark on, on the landscape. And I think, I think the issue is, and I think this is where, all journalists face the, the, the drama these days. The lines between activist and journalist are becoming increasingly blurred. And I think Ms. Wilkinson fell down at the first hurdle when it came to this story. Uh, on the first point, I couldn't agree more. Um, activism, journalism is a particular bugbear of mine at the moment, as mm-hmm. well as I think it is mm-hmm. most journalists of a certain age. <laughs> not that I'm saying you're my vintage, <laughs> not, not yet. But and on that second point, well, you cannot deny that she actively campaigned following the interview. I mean, I was going mm-hmm. through through some of her tweets immediately following that this morning as I was listening to her mm-hmm. evidence this morning. And mm-hmm. they were strident and, you know... Um, promoting the March for Justice and and those type of things, which as a woman in media, you can understand. But as a journalist, Mm -hmm. as you say, where Mm -hmm. is the line and and, and how far do you put your toe over it before you become Mm -hmm. um, um, not um, uh, telling the story, but you become the story? Yeah, and and that's the thing. I think we definitely heard it in her evidence yesterday where I think one thing that really stuck in my mind was where she was telling Matthew Richardson, who is Bruce Lerman's lawyer, you know, as a journalist, you read between the lines. And I was thinking, no, that is absolutely not what you do. You need to get the exact, especially with a case such as this one, you need to get the all ducks in a row and and everything very crystal clear. Do you have any issues or any any doubt in your mind? You have to put them to, to bed before you publish something like, this because the impacts, as we have seen, are just enormous. Yeah. So I, I think that it, it is going to be interesting to see. I mean, again, and then you see the way that different sides, and because they they are now tribes. There is the Wilkinson Higgins tribe, and there's the Lerman tribe, and they are both as vicious and as vocal as one <laughs> another. So I, uh, I take my hat off to Justice Lee. Uh, I think he's probably, uh, again, I think he's he's been uh, uh, incredible, uh, and that's I think the beauty of being the fact that we can tune in on. YouTube to watch the judicial system and how it operates. And I think what we're really seeing now is that there are people that understand the law and people that are just sort of experiencing it for the first time going, hang on, there's none of this makes any sense. And I'm like, well, welcome to uh, welcome to being a cadet journal when you go to your first court case. <laughs> Indeed. And you're like, I need to record everything because this might be the this might be the one question that could be entire pin the entire case on. So it is I think it's it's fabulous that Justice Lee has allowed this to be broadcast. Couldn't agree more there too. I mean he's he, he He's um, stressed all the way along um, the need for complete transparency um, on all sides in this case. Um, there was a there was a 
an application by Channel 10, ironically, at the start of the case yeah. to have the YouTube stream um, locked down a little bit in terms of having to apply to watch it. He, he threw that out. Um, mm. And there will be another application to lock down the YouTube stream next week when a certain witness comes um, to the mm. witness stand um, for another reason in terms of her mental health and the pressure she's feeling mm. to give that evidence. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, way he's, the, the way he's conducted it so far, I think he might shut that down too, which is a credit to him. I'm a... I'm I'm a big Justin Lee uh, Justice Lee fanboy. I've got to say, yeah. I, I, I watched him during the Palmer versus McGowan defamation case. Yeah. He treated them both with the disdain they deserved there, and then whacked that in a judgment in print for all to see. And he's been, I won't say absolutely not disdainful, but um, his um, his his. His tolerance level um, mm. has been um, of, of absolutely right. He's not put up with any SHIT from either side. And yeah. that includes Sue Chrysanthu, who's one of the most vocal and <laughs> bolshy barristers, defamation barristers in the country. So, yeah, hats yeah. off to him. And on that tribal mm. point, I mean, again, I don't want to go back to X or Twitter, but I, I have to for my job. Mm. If you if you search Bruce Lerman on on X, yeah. you 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 will think there is a different case going on than if you um, yeah. uh, search Brittany Higgins on X because the the tribes are so far apart. It is it is uh, you know almost impossible to reconcile. Which you know as, mm. as we know that's that's going to yeah. have to be Justice Lee's job. And good luck to him. Exactly. Well, yeah, and I think that the, but also the really interesting thing is I think a lot of people were scratching their heads when they noticed that uh, Ms. Wilkinson decided to. Uh, have her own legal representation mm. in, as you say, Sue Crisanto, who is uh, yeah, the most pre preeminent defamation lawyer uh, in the country, I would say. I think I think uh, West Australian readers would probably know her work when she represented Christian Porter in a number of his cases, uh, former Attorney General Christian Porter. Uh, and now I think a lot, when you see her in the stand, you can really understand why she has done that because I don't know about you, but I, I've just, I don't think I've seen so much handballing uh, in, a, in a court case, it kind of resembled like a modern day AFL game because it's very much she's sort of uh, moved that qualified privilege back onto the Channel 10 lawyers saying, well, I didn't I wasn't you know involved in that. That was my producer, Angus Llewellyn, which will probably help her case. Yeah. Some bus tracks over the back of Mr. Llewellyn's shirt <laughs> yesterday, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so uh, talking about the legal divide, even the physical layout of the courtroom over the past few weeks has, has been insightful with Ms. Wilkinson sat on the left on the front row every day, um, sometimes in, in pastel power suits. Mr. Lerman, mm. as you view the court via the YouTube stream, is on the right an mm. echo of their politics and a clear indication of their apparent disdain for one another. Their positions, as they emerged in the evidence, could not have been further apart as well. But before Ms Wilkinson was asked one question about Mr Learman, she was asked dozens of others about many others. Ms Higgins, her more senior colleagues, and Ms Wilkinson's own colleagues. And that Logie speech. Four incredibly intense, sleepless weeks later, when our story went to air, the entire country knew the name Brittany Higgins. As Brittany warned me before we went to air, her story would be seen by many of the most powerful people in this country, not as a human problem, but as a political problem. Brittany Higgins was a political problem. And governments tend to like political problems to go away. 
but Brittany never did. And the truth is, this honour belongs to Brittany. That is, in fact, where Matthew Richardson SE started his inquisition, opening the legal bowling with some short, fast stuff about those words. Centrally, Ms Wilkinson was asked about what she thought those words would have conveyed to the audience watching around the country. And that, Mr Lerman's lawyer said, was belief. Those words, he said, told the world that Lisa Wilkinson believed Britney, 100%. And if she believed Britney, then Britney must be telling the truth. And if Britney was telling the truth, then the man with her in Parliament House that night was a rapist. Ms Wilkinson shot back. Those were not her words, she said, and she could not presume what the audience would take from them. I take responsibility for those words. I spoke them, she said. I was celebrating her courage. But I can't be in the minds of the audience. If you can be in the minds of the entire nation, then that's a superpower I don't possess. It meant I thought she was courageous. Mr Richardson had other words. Pride, ego, reckless, ill-advised. But it was that word courage which Justice Michael Lee circled back to. Unwavering courage, in fact. And in any case, but particularly defamation cases where the judge is the sole arbiter, it pays to pay particular attention to the judge's questions because that is the clear indication of their direction of thinking. Does it not follow that if you say that someone is showing unwavering courage, it means they're making a true allegation of rape against a guilty man? Justice Lee asked. Yes was all that Ms Wilkinson could reply. Jenna, having to admit that you basically called a man a rapist on stage at the Logies was oh. not the brightest the start to the day in the witness box. Not at all. And I think I gasped. I think the 18,000 people that were tuning into that stream, you being one of them, Tim, sort of when when Justice Lee picked up his pencil and started asking questions, everyone could just say, just stop talking, just stop talking, yeah. just stop talking. Yeah. Um, but look, and I think, and I've spoken to a number of people in the legal fraternity about, uh, not about this case specifically, but about the fact that journalists make really bad witnesses. Because in case you didn't know, we have really healthy egos. So when we're in there, we we just love to talk because we love the yep. sound of our own voice. That is why someone like uh, Mr. Llewellyn probably was incredibly defensive in the, on the stand. And what we saw when, uh, you know, um, Matthew Richardson essay is impeccable in the way that he is needling the witnesses with those, the word salads of questions, mm -hmm. which ended up sort of getting under her skin where he said about that Logie's speech. And then he went into the fact of, you know, she just wanted the fame saying, I think you were thrilled by the riveting commercial appeal of it. And then she instantly, without even thinking, don't make me sound like a cheap tabloid journalist. And there you go. That's your headline. And yep. you, I think her lawyers at that stage collectively put their head in their hands <laughs> and went, we didn't need this. We just need very short, curt answers, please, Lisa. 
And it, I, like as I say, I spoke to I speak to lawyers a bit about it's what's called proofing the witness, which is mm-hmm. perfectly allowed mm-hmm. when you're going to be a witness in any court. You go into uh, go go in with a lawyer, and they will proof you, which is a bit like revision. You 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 will go over the likely questions that you're going to be asked and what your answers um, m- might be, and not putting words in their mouth, but um, suggesting ways that you, you might be able to say it and the, the the advice that every lawyer will give a witness is just answer the question don't talk too much don't give them any more ammunition and so as you say journalists make the worst i would reckon because <laughs> like we are this morning we like to we we like to talk and we like to um explain yeah. probably more than than is than is uh, needed at times particularly uh to, particularly when you're up against uh, an experienced defamation barrister who's out to get you Oh, absolutely. And I think you're just looking at that bar there, Chrysanthu, Richardson, Wybrow has, you know, done incredibly well. Uh, You do sort of go, I don't think I would like to face that. So it must be incredibly stressful for all involved. I think we have to stress that, that's for sure. Yeah. And now, uh, interestingly, Miss Wilkinson, when she was asked about the speech, also referred to advice that she'd been given before Mm. the speech, which Justice Lee circled back to very late in the day. And I'll give you a quote from him again. It's inconceivable to me that any legally qualified person could have given advice that a Crown witness saying what was said in that Logie speech was anything other than inadvisable and inappropriate. So that's that's how he summed it up. Um, that also appears somewhat unhelpful to Ten's defence yeah. that they behaved reasonably and had a public interest. Yeah, and that's where I think the the two um, of the the plaintiffs will diverge there because then we saw today she has really honed in on well that was the advice that I that I sought and I gained from the Ten legal department whether that is in house counsel or external so that's where she's sort of foregoing that qualified privilege to to kind of say well I was. I was above that and I was removed from that. So I was relying on on that from a secondhand person or secondhand information, which probably isn't the most of, you know, responsible things to, to have done. Uh, so it is going to be interesting. I think that will be a specific point to look for when we see the judgment from Justice Lee. Absolutely. So that asserted belief of the Brittany Higgins story was basically the axle around which Mr. Richardson's inquisition revolved and evolved over the last two days. The central premise that Ms. Higgins had entirely captured the project. They believed her and didn't want to ask questions which might dent that belief. And so, Mr. Richardson alleged, they just didn't ask them, meaning Ms. Wilkinson and her colleagues had failed to properly probe the possible cracks in her story. Mr. Richardson also put his metaphorical car key into those cracks and quizzed Ms. Wilkinson about what she thought. About Ms. Higgins's phone losing potentially crucial messages and photos and the possibility, raised by the young Liberal staffer, that the government had the capability to wipe her device remotely. I thought that was curious. It made me think that she was a very scared young woman. That was Miss Wilkinson's answer. About Miss Higginson's fixation on the Parliament House CCTV and whether it had been hidden or destroyed, Miss Wilkinson agreed those notions sounded conspiratorial. About why some messages and that selfie of a bruise on Miss Higgins's leg had survived the apparent death of her phone. 
On that point, Ms. Wilkinson said that did sound an alarm bell, and so she raised it with her producer and others in the know at 10. Ultimately, Mr. Richardson pointed to a text message Ms. Wilkinson had sent Ms. Higgins after they had sat down for the recorded interview, but before it had aired. Just wanted to say thank you once again for your openness, honesty and eloquence. You did something truly magnificent today. Thank you for trusting us. I promise that we are going to do everything in our power to ensure that this will bring change. Please be incredibly proud. Jenna, this is a dilemma all journalists face on most of the stories they write as you know who mm. who to believe. But um, mm. that belief is now being picked at by Mr. Richardson as going beyond um, something that was um, even fair um, in, mm. in the broadcast. Yeah, and I think that really got me thinking also, Tim, in terms of where does the line, where do you draw the line as a journo? To be, obviously, you're always going to try and get all of your ducks in a row. You need to make sure that questions are put to the other side of, of a story of a case such as this. Are they given enough time to respond, which is uh, one of the issues that the um, that the Lerman team have issue with as well. And also the fact of that if I don't know about you, but I always find if you're writing these stories that you know is going to cause some type of uh, like a caustic sort of response within the community, in your gut feeling, if you have a query or just a niggle of doubt about something, chase it up again. Whether it means pushing back a story a day or a week, chase it up because you've just got to make sure that I, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But again, you just sort of know with this sort of story, you know, where where does the where does it lot where, where does it end? Because yeah. uh, I think, and that's what a lot of people are trying to get their head around, where they're thinking, well, at the end of the day, journo's are, are not lawyers, so they cannot forensically go through everything. Um, you know, every single syllable that someone tells them with a fine-tooth comb, you sort of have to rely on uh, an element of honour there mm -hmm. just as making sure that you're getting enough of that fair comment um, in a piece. So I just think it's it's going to be really interesting. And we have seen it in – we've seen this now because this issue has also impacted the 2023 Walkleys as well. Mm -hmm. You know, there was the issue where um, apparently there was not um, – the issue of payment for a specific award was not – or a spe specific story which was nominated as a finalist was not disclosed appropriately and now that it has now lost the finalist tag for the mm -hmm. 2023. And that qualified privilege thing, I mean – or the defence, it's not a thing. It's quite an important thing. Um, mm -hmm. The judge is not going to have – expected Channel 10 to, to chase down every um, mm. avenue and every rabbit hole that, that there was maybe have been raised. But the main one I think that the judge is going to have to look at is the efforts that 10 made to get in touch with mm. Bruce Learman. Mm. And that, yeah. that, I mean, and that is, that has been quite staunchly um, defended by 10. The, the, Lisa Wilkinson said not only an hour, less than an hour ago that 80 hours, in her opinion, from Friday 2.30 to airing at mm. um, 6.30 on the Monday is plenty of time for him to get back. They argue that mm. journos and um, media advisors all work the weekends. They would have known it. And that has somewhat been proved by the fact that everyone else got, well, like a lot of people got back to them, including the PMO's office, like three times. Mm. So mm. that, to me, is going to be a key sort of action uh, you know, a, a key tipping point. Whether the Justice League thinks they made proper efforts to get it, to give him a chance of right of reply, and yeah, 
Yeah, totally. And what I think the one issue that, that said if they got hold of him, who knows? But you know, yeah, it could have been just a no comment after eighty hours. But yeah. and that, I think that's where we diverge as you know, journo's and polit- politicians who are pretty much on twenty four seven, and the legal system, right? So I think one of the the issues that got stuck in the craw of um, all of the lawyers there was, but you know, two thirty on a Friday, we're done here by five o'clock, <laughs> four o'clock on a Friday, we clock off. So I think it's. I think the issue was he wouldn't have been able to um, seek. Uh, appropriate legal advice or representation during that short amount of time. So I think that, yeah, you're right, that will definitely be an interesting little um, little item to look at when Justice Lee makes his final call. Mm. So going back to the evidence, it was when Ms Wilkinson was taken to whether she had her own agendas in pursuing Ms Higgins' story that things got a bit testy. Mr Richardson put to the veteran presenter that she was thrilled by the riveting commercial appeal of the story that she told. Don't make me sound like a cheap tabloid journalist, Mr Richardson, was her spiky reply. She was accused of coaching the vulnerable young woman during a pre-interview conversation, which she also firmly denied. And her feelings towards Senator Linda Reynolds, the WA politician who Ms Higgins had worked for for less than a month before the alleged attack, also became a live issue. I've so got her in my sights now, Ms Wilkinson was recorded saying in that pre-interview chat. She went for me publicly And when I tried to come back reasonably, and then I thought, I'm not going to do this publicly. I'm trying to work out who this f***ing woman is. I'd never heard of her. She's a nobody. That outburst followed a spat which erupted over a tweet Ms Wilkinson sent about the retirement of Julie Bishop. Words were exchanged in public and then in private, and that was that. Until it wasn't. Ms Wilkinson's words in that meeting were raised by Mr Richardson as a potential lack of objectivity. Ms Wilkinson's attitude in the witness box left no one in any doubt about how she felt. What she had done publicly, I considered pretty cheap and nasty, Ms Wilkinson said about Senator Reynolds. It sounds like I'm putting together who this woman is. Who would take a young rape victim into the same room where rape had happened just days before? I find that behaviour deplorable. That referred to a meeting Miss Higgins was asked to attend in Senator Reynolds' office days after the alleged attack. In the same room, she said it had happened. Ms Wilkinson was firm in her assertion she believed that was one factor in the roadblocks which the project said emerged in the early days of any potential police investigation. And then she went further, stating that at the time of that interview, she did believe that Senator Reynolds and others in those Canberra corridors were trying to cover up Ms Higgins' allegations. I totally believe they wanted to make sure she was okay. Ms. Wilkinson said, but they're in a bit of a minefield as to the timing of this alleged rape having occurred because it was a lead up to an election. I think they were taking orders from the Prime Minister's office, whatever those orders were. I think it follows that they were involved. It was about keeping the details away from the media. That sounds to me like a cover up. Jenna, that is some statement to make on oath in a courtroom. 
Yes, the silent screams that you could hear um, on uh, Macquarie Street on on Thursday were definitely uh, Lisa Wilkinson's lawyers just saying, "Please make it stop." <laughs> yeah, look, I think when she decided to editorialize, you don't editorialize in the witness stand. Like, if anyone's listening and you ever get called to be, <laughs> be participating in a defo case, don't editorialize. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, and again, the assumptions there, I think, are very dangerous. And I think that there was probably a lot of, um, I think, you know, on both sides, there's a lot of bias in in the way that we view this story now and there was probably a lot of bias in because as we have seen uh, Ms Higgins is an incredibly um, eloquent well-spoken educated young woman who is incredibly incredible under pressure when she's either in the witness stand or, or doing interviews and things like that so it's hard not to be convinced by her but the fact that Ms Wilkinson has pulled in all of these, you know, these strings together without having any understanding of, uh, again, I guess the interesting part that we did here was the, those um, uh, taped recordings between Senator Macadia Cash, her, star, her chief of staff, and Brittany. I think, I mean, I think we can all make assumptions about what was happening, but I think it's probably best at this one stage. Just a little bit of shush might have helped yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And it was in, when she was asked that, uh, by Mr. Richardson, did you honestly believe that? And she said, well, yes, I know politics and I was reading between the lines. You read between the lines in terms of, oh, well, she saw senior PMO staff members in the office. Now, mm-hmm. Senator Reynolds had just been uh, um, uh, got a major upgrade mm-hmm. in her portfolio to defence industry, mm-hmm. which we know that conservative social politics love. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to, to put those two and two together, um, yeah. Stretching yeah. it. Stretching it, I Yeah, think. yes. And Senator Reynolds, we've got to say, has denied all the allegations um, about her behaviour in those mm. days in the strongest terms. And it's likely now, we've learned this morning, that her former Chief of Staff, Fiona Brown, will also become a witness in this case now. Um, and mm. what she says um, about what happened and how far it goes against Miss Higgins's account is going to be um, really interesting to hear, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've um, we heard from Fiona Brown. I think she spoke to the media just after at the conclusion of that aborted criminal trial last year. Don't be shy. Um, she spoke when... to the Australian. You're your employer. <laughs> she did. And I think reading that, I mean, I think when I initially opened the story and it said, you know, 27 minutes, I'm like, oh, here we go. I don't think I have the, uh, who has the capacity to, to pay attention for that long? <laughs> it was a gripping yarn in terms of just hearing from, and I, I think a lot of people probably don't understand that when you're a political chief of staff, you're definitely, and I don't mean this in a in a derogatory sense, you're definitely the faceless man or woman. You're the person behind the scenes just trying to make sure that the train stays on the track. So uh, I can imagine that Fiona Brown, uh, as we have heard, was involved in this from the get-go where the, everyone was just trying to understand what on earth had happened. Mm. I think there was a security breach at one stage, when or if or how or why uh, that she was made aware that there was an alleged assault involving Ms Higgins still remains, uh, you know, very, very murky. The, the version of events differs, you know, on a scale of about 1 to 10. I think she's at a 10 and, and Ms Higgins is at a, at a 1. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see um, not so much what we see in her with her testimony. Her affidavit is just being finalised now. Mm. But I think in the way that Justice Lee 
responds to her because he has been very, um, very not gentle is probably the wrong word, but he's been very thoughtful of uh, people such as Miss Higgins and Mr Lerman when they're in the stands. I think knowing full well there's probably a lot of stress and, and emotion um, at the forefront of their minds. And I think we have heard that, you know, Miss Brown is is uh, having some mental health issues, which is understandable considering everything she's been through. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what what her um, evidence does present, because I think that could be that this, this could probably make or break the case. Mm. And finally, uh, a, a more general um, question: in a post Me Too world, I mean, what do you think the Higgins case tells us about sort of how Parliament, the media, and you know the wider Australian community sort of uh, exist currently uh, in, in us in, mm. in in the in the ecosystem that is twenty twenty three nearly yeah i i think what we sort of learnt is i don't think that this was um this was not a, a standalone issue i think it's basically just a symptom of what is happening in society i think women are probably a little bit fed up a little bit angry um and have decided you know saw the sort of launch pad of the me too movement and took, sort of took stock about their own personal experiences mm. and i think that's that's universal i don't think that it has to do with the fact that you could just be a beautiful young bright um, political staffer in Canberra, it also can be, as we have seen, you know, a, a person of complete disadvantage has the exact same universal experience of being a woman or, or a young person in Australia. Um, I think the one thing is, and I'm, I mean, what that I think personally, the one thing I have learned is that if something as horrific as these allegations does occur to you, I think you do have to put your trust and your faith in the system's in our institutions in Australia, which regardless of how many people say that it is just skewed towards whichever side, you have to put your trust in them because I think they are the best in the world in our free democracy. So if this does happen, find support people that you trust and you love and seek solace in the institutions that hopefully justice will prevail. Mm. And what Justice Lee has to say about those um, institutions in his surely long and very eagerly awaited judgment which will be um will be no doubt insightful but also um perhaps informative going forward jenna mm. mate what a joy to th thank you for joining us um this week it's been brilliant to uh, catch up with you and uh hopefully we can do it again next year it's been an honor to be on my favorite pod with my favorite journey thanks jim thanks mate and as always a brief postscript to this case. As we mentioned on our previous coverage, Mr Learman is now facing another criminal allegation of rape from another woman in Toowoomba who alleges an assault in October 2021. This week, his lawyer in that case indicated an intention to cross-examine witnesses even before it gets to trial, which will mean those allegations will stretch out into 2024. All the while, he waits for the crucial decision in his defamation case. Thanks for joining us again on Court in the Act. If you have any questions or cases you want explored, then please email us at courtintheact at wanews.com.au. And remember, if you want to know what's going on in court, don't get caught short, get Court in the Act instead. <laughs> <laughs>